Hello everyone, I'm Santiago C. Carrada, President and CEO of Visit Tampa Bay, and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Tampa Bay. This month, we're celebrating National Hispanic Heritage Month. As a Latino myself, I'm very proud to be celebrating and honoring a culture that's had an immense impact on the Tampa Bay community. In August, we enjoyed Beer Fest at Busch Gardens all month long, celebrated National Cuban Sandwich Day, sipped and savored handcrafted beer during Bolt's Brewfest at Amelie Arena, participated in 813 Day at Sparkman Wharf. Now that we're in September, football is back and we're getting ready for another amazing season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We get to celebrate World Tourism Day, the first day of fall, Labor Day, and so much more. We're excited to jump into the month and celebrate National Hispanic Heritage. As usual, take it away, Serena. Thank you so much, Santiago. And we are so honored to be able to recognize Hispanic Heritage Month. And who better to launch this conversation than Patrick Montega. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's I great mean, to be here. You are the editor and publisher of La Gazzetta. Mm -hmm. um, it is the oldest Hispanic newspaper in the entire country. Correct. In the entire country. Yeah. Let's start there. Wow. Well, my grandfather uh, started the newspaper 101 years ago. Um, it started off as a Spanish daily. Um, my grandfather originally came here not to be a newspaper publisher, but he came here in 1913 to uh, read in the cigar factories. He was a lector. The workers hired him, and so uh, every week he would uh, sit in a chair above the rollers as they rolled their cigars, and he would read uh, news, and he would read literature to them, and it was their entertainment, and at the end of the week, the workers would pay him uh, for his services, and that was a very honored job. Isn't that something? So then the idea just sparked to start his own newspaper. Yes, at the time, uh, he, I guess, went from doing a verbal news to, to doing it in print. And so his uh, audience became a lot wider than that of the cigar factory. It became uh, many cigar factories. And at the time, we were one of many. There was probably 20 newspapers in, in Tampa that were Spanish. Uh, some were you know, union papers, some were communist mm -hmm. papers, some were, they were all over the place. But we were the only one to survive. And not only survive, you guys right now, too, are the only trilingual lingual paper, right, in the entire yes. country as well. Spanish, Italian, and English. Uh, we started off as Spanish only. And in the 50s, as our population became um, more dependent mm -hmm. on English, because we're now in second, third generation, um, we went to add English. And then the Italian community approached us and they wanted us to add Italian because they were losing their language. Um, the Italians had come here uh, when the Cubans did it, turn of the century, and their kids learned English in school. Uh, the uh, uh, adults had to speak Spanish in the factories, and so Italian got kind of left behind. And so without a written uh, version of your language, you, you soon lose it. And so uh, we've done a page of Italian ever since. That's wonderful. And you know, you are the, again, the editor and publisher, mm -hmm. third generation. Also, what an accomplishment. I mean, we need to talk about it, right? Everybody's going to the internet. Mm -hmm. They have gone to the internet, but so. your paper has chosen not to do that. Correct. Very traditional, 18,000, yep. at least in circulation. Mm -hmm. Share share and talk more about that decision and why it's so important. 
Well, uh, I remember talking to my father back in the 80s uh, about uh, what we should do. You had uh, uh, Associated Press was selling um, its news to Yahoo. Uh, They were putting it on the internet for free. And we decided to wait and see and find out who had a the best business plan for moving to the internet. We're still waiting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really, nobody's had a great move of going. They've lost their print newspaper, mm-hmm. just like the Times has done here recently. And that's move. You know, it, it's hardly printing anymore because it's now uh, going on the internet. And so, you know, the internet advertising never paid what run of press advertising did. And so a lot of these newspapers folded trying to pursue the internet. And we just never did. But we're a niche publication. You know, if you, if you want to get us great, if not, we're okay. But you know, I love you talking about that. Because when you and I were t- speaking earlier, mm-hmm. you said to me, you know, we can't keep up with the newspapers covering the the hurricanes mm-hmm. or covering maybe a Buccaneers game. Mm-hmm. That's why you are so niche and you do very special mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, we, we, we write about our history. We write about news that other people are forgetting about. And sometimes you write about news with a Latin twist. You know, something's happened in our community and they get reported on a certain way. But sometimes there's a Latin side to that story. And uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll write about that. So, Patrick, how do we get the newspaper? Well, even though we don't offer a whole newspaper online, you can go online to order it and we'll mail it to you. So uh, you go to lagacetanewspaper.com. That's only $35 a year. It'll come to you through the U.S. Post Office and uh, hopefully it arrives to your post uh, mailbox every Friday. And are they at locations as well? We do. We have uh, retail locations that stretch all the way from uh, Fort Myers north to uh, um, uh, Crystal River and from St. Pete to Orlando. Wawa's carries us. A lot of little bodegas do so uh we have some news racks downtown so yeah we're around well congratulations you know i was just at a gallery um the other day and i saw your newspaper front and center so congratulations (laughs) thank you so how do you get to be in your newspaper i mean to get the honor to be in your newspaper what what type of you know what do you have to do or what do people have to do to catch your eye well, you know, a phone call sometimes is all it takes. If you got something that's happening that's worthwhile, or you know, and we we write about people sometimes. And so, you know, if we find somebody who's doing something neat uh, and they're doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, we love to write about people who volunteer their time, who do the things that help our community without getting paid for it, without uh, seeking publicity. Um, and so, those are our favorite kind of people to find and write about. See, in that again, I love the word. word wonderful but how wonderful is that spreading Mm -hmm. positivity and your paper does that well we also do a lot of negative too yeah i mean Mm -hmm. you know uh when you write about government and you write about some things uh a lot of times you're writing about the the bad things they're doing or things that you disagree with uh so we try not to pull any punches we'll go both ways i'm glad you brought up the government though Mm -hmm. because it was in 1968 that president lyndon johnson Mm -hmm. recognized hispanic heritage month of Mm -hmm. course it was ronald reagan that expanded it for over a month period Mm -hmm. why is it in your opinion Mm -hmm. why was that such a defining period in our history well i think that you know um um, a lot of the hispanic presence in america has been forgotten has been ignored by um, um, our history books. Mm-hmm. You know, when you ask most people what the oldest city in America is, they might talk about Jamestown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oldest city in America is uh, in Puerto Rico at San Juan. Second oldest mm-hmm. is St. Augustine. Third oldest is Santa Fe, New Mexico. Is it, It's giving me goosebumps. And nobody knows those things because the Spanish were 
in, in, the, in the Appalachian Mountains way before the English ever touched their toes on the beach uh, in Virginia or in Massachusetts or in these places. And so, you know, most of America, uh, half of America was settled by the, the, the Spaniards, mm-hmm. not by the English. And, and so this history, I think, needs to be talked about more. Even the city of Tampa. You know, Tampa was a city that looked to the south. Our connection with Cuba was so much closer than it was to Washington, D.C., to New York. Uh, you know, our ships went back and forth between Tampa and Havana. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. tobacco came up here. We produced cigars here. Workers came in from Havana. Um, and, uh, and it was such a close relationship until 1960 that, you know, even little league teams would fly down to Havana to play a game there. Our Latin American fiesta queen would go down and <laughs> right, hang out at the Bacardi right. headquarters. <laughs> uh, you know, our, our, our mobsters had places down there too. And so Tampa had this really, we were a border city. Uh, we faced South and, and we've forgotten that now, of course, because of the U.S policy towards Cuba, we've separated from our, our, our um, border. We appreciate you sharing this with us as well, because it's such a, um, it's a perspective I didn't even think about of where, of where we are, like mm-hmm. physically, um, Tampa. Yeah. And as you see Tampa grow, I mean, I remember, I mean, I landed here 23 years ago, and from what it was then to what it is now, sure. what do you think that says to Patrick from a from a um, a tourist perspective? Well, I mean, you know, Tampa's a great place. And, and a lot of people, when they, they come to a town, they, they see the, the bricks, they see the mortar, they feel the sunshine, but a lot of them don't get the story. And I think that the more you know about Tampa, the better the vacation is, the better the experience of being a resident here is. Um, we have a great history. We have a unique history that is uh, different immigrant history than anywhere in the U.S. I was talking to um, uh, Professor Gary Romino, who's a great historian, mm-hmm. and he, he brought up something I found just really significant. You, you've, you've seen the Italian club, the Cuban yes. club, Central Storiano, mm-hmm. these mutual aid society mm-hmm. buildings that are left in Ybor City. And, um, and in many towns in the U.S., you might find a Polish-American club, a Hungarian club, a Romanian club, mm-hmm. a French club. And these were uh, people who settled in these areas, and they would get a little place uh, above a butcher shop or in an old warehouse, and they'd get some old chairs in there, and they'd, they'd kind of uh, gather up, and they'd talk in their language, and they'd celebrate their culture. But most of these places were, like I said, small. They were borrowed. Mm-hmm. They didn't last. Here in, in Ybor City, the Cubans who came here, the Spaniards came here, the Italians, they built cathedrals. They built these huge buildings. They built brick hospitals. They built cemeteries. They were here to stay. And you just won't find this kind of immigrant settlement anywhere in the U.S. And, and I think it makes us truly unique. Even our newspaper's mm-hmm. existence here shows kind of how unique this colony is and this community is. A 101-year-old mm-hmm. Hispanic newspaper isn't in... Los Angeles, right. it isn't in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Santa Fe or Houston or anywhere like that. It's here in Tampa. And I think that that says a lot. It shows the commitment. And you're talking about these amazing, beautiful buildings. And modesty aside, Patrick, mm-hmm. you have put in so much, as has your family, heart and soul into keeping these businesses, these buildings beautiful. Mm-hmm. Talk about everything that you've done with all your grants. Well, I'm the president of the Cuban Club Foundation, or was until a month ago. We switched presidency, but still involved with it. And uh, and with the other clubs, I've also worked on trying to raise money. These clubs tell a unique story. They uh, mutual aid societies, a lot of people don't realize, 
when the uh, cigar workers came here to work in the factories being built in Ebor, Tampa was nothing. It was a bunch of dirt streets, alligators, mm -hmm. and mosquitoes. And the Cubans got off the boat after you know leaving the metro uh, metropolitan area of Havana, which had beautiful opera houses, had all these modern facilities. And they got to Tampa, they just get back on the boat and go back. I mean, this was no place to live. And so the factory owners had to do something. They had to do something about it. So they created a land office to give housing away. And then they also uh, started these mutual aid societies so that when the Cubans got here, they had a place to go. Uh, Tampa was a deep south, mm -hmm. white-run city. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they didn't like Hispanics any better than they liked blacks. And so you kind of had to take care of yourself. So the Cuban Club was the first mutual, uh, was the first uh, health maintenance organization in, in, uh, in America, the first HMO. Isn't that HMO. something? Okay, first HMO in the right. nation. So you would belong to the Cuban Club and you'd pay a little bit each week and we would take care of your health care. So we'd have doctors and nurses available for you in a pharmacy. Uh, we had intramural sports that we offered so you could play baseball or boxing or whatever you wanted to. We had a theater for community theater to entertain you. We had a meeting room so that... There could be uh, Sunday matinee dances so young Cubans could eat, young Cuban <laughs> girls and young Cuban boys could meet under the watchful eye of their uh, grandparents. And, um, and we did everything from banking to barbershops to English language to billiards. to So everything in your life outside the factory, the clubs could mm -hmm. take care of. And so you had a club for Cubans. You had a club for people from northern Spain. You had people from Spain. You had people uh, from Italy. And even the uh, Germans and the uh, uh, Jewish population had their own clubs. Some of them were bigger than others. The Central Espanol was the largest at one point, uh, getting around 14,000 members that had two huge clubhouses and a, and a fully operational hospital. And, and like I said, this was all done by immigrants who'd only been here for about 10 years and they started to develop this. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So our melting pot, of course, mm -hmm. is growing. And I know this is, we are Visit Tampa Bay, but we also, of course, cater to our wonderful locals as well. This might be a very difficult question for you okay. to answer, but what is your favorite? What are, what are some of your favorite places as we, specifically as we recognize and celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month? Well, I think, you know, if you're talking Hispanic Heritage Month, you got to go to Ybor City. You got to walk the streets. You got to see what our Latin community built. Um, you know, West Tampa has some great spots. Uh, go into a cafe, have some cafe con leche if it's not on your regular menu. Eat a Cuban sandwich, have a double crab. Um, we have some unique foods here, Spanish bean soups, a unique <laughs> Tampa thing. Uh, go to the Columbia. Um, um, you know, there's a lot of great restaurants here, uh, going down Columbus, uh, uh, Boulevard, which is, you know, uh, has a nickname Boliche Boulevard. Mm -hmm. You will find every type of Latin American cuisine there. And so, uh, just in a few blocks, you can eat around the world. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I think those are some of my, my favorite things to do. And, and I would suggest if you really wanted to get into Hispanic spend a carriage month, go and do it. And of course, as we go around the city, your family is quite recognized. <laughs> your grandfather and your father mm -hmm. both have statues. Yes, my uh, grandfather's on the Riverwalk. Uh, it's a bust of him um, and uh, talks about his contributions to the city along with him being a lector. Um, my uh, father's statue is in Ybor City and he's leaning against uh, Central Espanol and he's reading a newspaper. And um, 
And uh, my father was a really unique man, and he uh, uh, did a lot to try and save Ybor City when it was on the verge of, of completely getting bulldozed. And, um, and his friends rewarded him with uh, raising money and putting a statue up of him after he uh, passed away. Uh, the, um, he had a good friend with George Steinbrenner who paid for half of the statue, wow. uh, which was uh, so nice for the head of the Yankees to do. You know, I know you hold your family so dear. I mean, just, I wish, you know, some people are listening, but people who are watching, I wish they could see your face and your smile as you talk about your family. And to bring this full circle, uh-huh. your dad, mm-hmm. your dad hired mm-hmm. your now wife of 40 years <laughs> at the newspaper. Before me, yeah. I got married, <laughs> I, got, I got hired about probably six months after she did. She started the newspaper before I did. I think she started, I think we're, uh, she was 19 when she started the newspaper. I was probably 20. And, uh, and I married my prom date. Uh, I went to Plant City High School and we met in 11th grade. And uh, adorable. And so we've been married 40 years, got uh, three children, three grandchildren, and uh, I'm a really lucky man. Well, you know what? And we can also say in this case, right? Father knows best, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are so lucky to have you. You are such a Tampa Bay treasure. But before I let you go, sure. Santiago did mention something about a spooky season. Spooky season? Yes. At the Cuban Club? <laughs> At me? I mean, uh, so anyway, uh, the, I, I'm the president of the Cuban Club, and the Cuban Club is one of the most haunted buildings in America. And, uh, and so uh, this time of year, we get a lot of uh, different uh, rentals uh, that try and you know, uh, deal with that. And so we have people who have different programs there, and we have a lot of ghost tours there. But I personally have a connection with Halloween, and so I go really crazy at my own house. Mm. It takes me about 70 or 80 hours to decorate wow. my outside. And I get about 500 trick-or-treaters a year uh, at my house in Temple Terrace, and uh, I just find Halloween a great season. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was a perfect note then to end on. <laughs> Patrick Montega, thank you so much for being here on Unlocking Tampa Bay. And again, uh, we so appreciate you. What a treasure. Appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. And continuing our conversation on Hispanic Heritage Month, talk about generations. We just talked to Patrick Montega of La Gazeta, and here we have Copeland Moore with La Segunda, fourth generation. That's right, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. Of course, anybody in town knows all about La Segunda Bread and your Cafe Con Leche. In fact, I wish I had one right now. Copeland, can you tell us about your business? Yeah, sure. So it's La Segunda Bakery, like you said. My great-grandfather started the business in 1915. He was born in Spain, went to Cuba to fight in the Spanish-American War, learned how to make Cuban bread, and then brought it to Ybor City with the, the big rush of the cigar industry. And so, you know, over the years, it's just kind of grown naturally. And, you know, today... We have four locations, and we still make the bread the same way that my grandfather did. And how? what is it, 22,000 loaves of bread you make every single day? Yeah, that's right now. It's about what we make. That's mm-hmm. incredible. How many bakers do you guys have on staff, or how many people does it take to keep this flow going? Yeah, I think we, we probably have around 30 to 35 bakers right now. It fluctuates with the orders. Um, but, yeah, a lot of them have been with us a long time, tenured and very experienced and good people. And you know, you talk about your four locations, but you also provide your bread to some huge restaurants <laughs> and key people in the area. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, sure. So Columbia Restaurant is our uh, longest 
um, standing customer. We've been dealing with the Gonsmards for over a hundred years now. Our families are intertwined, and they're they're great people. That we we see them as more than a customer. Um, you know that their family has helped us through a lot of different things, and they've always um, been great and always have helped us with the business. Um, but other businesses locally, like La Terracita, mm-hmm. and you know, there's other uh, distributors, Cisco and Gordon Foods, that will take the bread throughout the country. And I think you know, and also so kind, your business, also your family business, donates to so many people sure. in the area. If the bread is not eaten, yeah. So if, if our so our bread's thirty six inches long, and most places will use it to make human sandwiches, and they'll try to get four sandwiches out of the bread. So if the bread comes out misshaped, or you know we don't think they can make um, get the yield of four sandwiches, then we'll we'll kind of put it in the donation pile, and you know that'll go to um, feeding Tampa Bay or Metropolitan Ministries or some different you know groups around that need it, and. Yeah, we feel like, you know, it shouldn't go to waste. Well, that bread. feed that feeds the soul for sure. sure. Yeah. And talk about good bread. It is it is amazing bread. Thank you. Your bread is very unique mm-hmm. as well though. Talk to us about the palmetto cuz you know it's a La Segunda loaf because of the way the bread also looks. Sure. Yeah, so we put a palmetto leaf or actually four leaves down the top of each loaf and that's just to score the bread. So that helps as you're putting the bread in the oven, it'll break open and score. So a lot of bakeries will use a knife or a string. Uh, my great-grandfather's, uh, the way he learned to do it in Cuba was the palmetto, and, and that's stuck, and that's uh, tradition here. I think if you see a loaf of bread and it doesn't have a, a palmetto, then it's not really Cuban bread. Um, and so, yeah, that that's our main staple. And then, you know, baking the bread, it comes down to – the bakers knowing what they're doing and it takes a lot of experience and a lot of uh you know it's it's hard work i can't help but start to laugh because i was talking to copeland before and i said wow i said so is this a secret family recipe <laughs> share with everybody what you said yeah so our recipe we publish it it's on our website on um, their website it's yeah. it's really a simple recipe to make the bread as far as ingredients it's you know just five ingredients with the but with our bread the hard part is actually baking it and so the the pro it's a long arduous process that you know from start to finish there's a lot of different variables with how the dough goes from one stage to the next and if you don't know what you're doing, then it's it's not going to come out right. Well, that's sort of, so. Yeah, you can have the recipe, but for the most part, you're not going to be able to make it like your bakers do, which is a huge compliment. Right. To you. Yeah. So yeah. So and our baker, it's a compliment to our bakers too, because they 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 know what they're doing. Plus, they care. They take a lot of pride in the bread coming out. You know, pretty perfect <laughs> almost every every time. You know, so there are those loaves. And things are handmade that don't come out, you know, 100%. But, uh, you know, these guys are, are very good at what they do. Well, speaking of pride, we're talking about Hispanic Heritage Month. And, sure. you know, there's a statistic that says a third of the population in Tampa is actually Hispanic. And so your family, again, four generations, you've been here. Tell us one of your favorite traditions it gives me goosebumps it's so sweet yeah sure so um noche buena the big deal for the latin community here locally everywhere i guess and so you know that's the night before christmas um you know most latin families will celebrate that night and so 
for us at the bakery, it's become a tradition. It's it's our biggest day of the year, like sales wise. It'll be you know four to five times a normal day of sales, and it's it's become a tradition where people will gather you know early before the the bakery opens up, and it's always the same families and the, and the same people that we can see on that day. And so I think it's just become a tradition within the mm-hmm. tradition um at the bakery and it's really special we, we take like my girls will go you know and we we just hang out and you see a lot of people that you don't see you know throughout the year and um yeah it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun day oh that's so wonderful that you take your two little girls margaret and lillian beautiful that's family right. names yeah. that's Thank fantastic you. we're giving a shout out to the girls <laughs> yeah now. i like that so <laughs> Speaking of that family tradition, though, and fourth generation, mm-hmm. so you have seen Tampa grow so much, which we're so proud of. How has that impacted La Segunda, and why is that important as we recognize Hispanic Heritage Month? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tampa has grown fast i can remember i was telling my girls like they don't understand i I used to be able to get home in five minutes but now the traffic (laughs) is 20 to 30 minutes um but it's been great for business and great for growth and expansion um but as far as the bakery goes what's what's really cool for us to see is you know you'll 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 see someone come in and it'll be like a you know a granddaughter and a grandparent and they'll say you know i used to come here with my grandmother when i was younger and we get a lot of those stories, which is really cool for us, um, just that the community like shares in those traditions. You, you know? know, and we do, and I know here at Visit Tampa Bay, of course, we're talking about tourists, but also the locals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that story you shared about the locals. Have you seen, though, too, just a huge boom in tourism? I mean, we're breaking records right now. Yes, especially in our Ebor location. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people want to come and see Tampa. There's a lot to do here and, you know, especially Ebor City and what's happening on 7th Avenue. And so a lot of our, you know, we can track our sales and our customers and who are the regulars who come back. But the percentage in Ebor is very high for, um, you know, tourists, which which has been great for us. You know, um, Hispanic Heritage Month was, we were, I was talking to Patrick about it, was officially launched in 1968 by President Lyndon Johnson. And then it, you know, grew into a whole month under President Ronald Reagan. And it's recognized nationally. But why do you think here in, here in our community, it's perhaps even more special than it is throughout states throughout this i I mean it's probably the high population that you were talking about before and then the traditions that are ingrained here and you know on the spanish side of things like i'll I'll go back for one second so a lot like there's a conflict with us in miami right Mm -hmm. about who has the cuban sandwich (laughs) and i and we weren't really talking about this before but um a lot of people will come to the bakery and tourists and then maybe they're from miami and they'll they'll complain and they'll say hey this this is not a cuban bakery and our answer that we train our staff and that's probably our number one complaint online our answer is always you're right it's not a cuban bakery it's an ebor city bakery Mm. and so we say that because the traditions of ebor you know going beyond the spanish immigrants but it was spanish cuban italian and german and a lot of the foods that we offer at, at our bakeries are all those cultures kind of combined. And so I think, I think, you know, what I'm saying is that it's just a special, a different feel. We have our own foods that were created here, like the devil crab and things like that. Mm-hmm. And 
um you know people people i don't think people realize that until they come in and they experience a different style of bakery isn't that so interesting that it's such a big question or such a frequently asked question that you had to put it on the website <laughs> yeah yeah it's the number one it's the number one complaint and and i understand it because it's a cultural thing so people that grew up in miami that they're they're used to these cuban bakeries <laughs> mm -hmm. They hear the, of our Cuban bakery, you know, on shows like this, let's say, and they, they come by and they're they're It's like culture shock. Um, but, you know, that, that's how it is. We sell more bread in Alaska than we do in Miami just because of the cultures. You're, you sell more. So the bread goes as far away to Alaska. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah. All right, we opened up something else here. So by the time you make the bread and by the time it gets to Alaska, is there like, is there a period of time? And I I, I don't think, wow, Alaska. It's <laughs> yeah, so, Alaska. Yeah, so if the bread is sold through distributors, it's frozen. So we'll bake it, package it, and freeze it immediately. They'll pick it up, keep it frozen, and then they'll truck it, you know, throughout the country. And Alaska, Alaska, uh, they buy a lot of bread up there. I don't know why, but they're they like Cuban sandwiches. Yeah, and it's I mean, bread is always such a comfort food, right? Mm -hmm. And there, it's maybe a little colder than it is here, maybe a little darker. Just a tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> Where else are you guys? So our bread reaches probably about thirty different states right now. So the, most of most of the the country, obviously, most of that's in the southeast, but you know, all the way out to California, Colorado, New York. Um, I think we just opened up a, a customer in Minnesota. Um, so yeah, it gets around. That's fantastic. So how, I mean, I, I would imagine you would hope to be in every single state. Sure. How did that start happening though, Copeland? That's a good question. So that actually started happening with Beefo Brady's, which I don't know if you know, you know, I'm sure you know that, yes. that um, restaurant group here locally, but obviously they started in Tampa and they've always taken our bread and so they have franchises and so that franchise let's say a franchise opens in atlanta or franchise opens in charlotte opens in minneapolis for example and the distributor so they'll tell the distributor they have to have our bread at their store and so the distributor will bring the bread into that city and then from there we can sell to other restaurants around in that city so really beef radius was a driver of growth for us outside of the city. That's why I love this show and <laughs> finding out so many details. Who would have thought? And it's all about relationships. Yes, yes. We've had a relationship for them for as long as I've been there. It's probably over over 20 years now that we've been providing them bread and they've been buying bread from us. And and it actually the actually I'll go back because before that it started when the Columbia started growing. So Columbia Restaurant opened up in Sarasota and um, Celebration and, you know, St. Augustine. And when that started happening, uh, we tried to deliver bread to them, but it didn't work. It was mm -hmm. too far of a distribution and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't make the logistics work out. And so they came to us and they said, hey, why don't we try to make this bread a little bit different, make it a little bit smaller and we can package it and box it and distribute it easier. And, you know, we worked everything out and then we started distributing them bread. And then once we started distributing them and it was Henry and Henry at that time, now it's Gordon Foods, we were able to sell to other restaurants in the same manner. Isn't so. that something? And I keep on thinking about that number of 22,000 loaves of mm -hmm. bread that um, you bake every single day. So what 
does that facility look like? And where is that facility where you uh, where you bake all the bread? Sure. So our main facility is in Ebor, and we we make the we bake the uh, majority of bread there. And it's I our, I think our building's like ten thousand square feet, um, but we we operate twenty four hours a day. So, twenty four hours a day. So there's all, always someone there, and there's all they're always baking. You know, we only have two ovens. They're large ovens, but they don't we don't turn them off. Um, and so we have that facility and then we just acquired a facility in Seminole Heights. Um, that was the old Fiedos bakery and that building is 6,800 square feet and it has three ovens. And so we can do, we do about 30 to 40% of our production now there. And that was one of the reasons that we purchased it is to be able to meet demand. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you see then more locations popping up throughout the Bay Area? Yeah, so we ha- right now we have, you know, our Ebor location, our Florida Avenue location, um, South Tampa is on Kennedy, and then we just opened up St. Pete last year, which is on 4th Street. And yeah, if, if um, you know, we're not in a rush, we don't have anything in the, in the works right now to open a location, but if something comes up around Tampa Bay that makes sense for us, um, we, we, will, we will open it up. Sure. I have a feeling that we will definitely be more seeing more lots of good news around. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I do too. I, there's I Brandon's a good market. I know that. You know, Lutz, Wesley Chapel. Um, there's a lot of growth around here, as you know. And so, um, you know, the, the community's always been very supportive. So you've already achieved, you know, sending uh putting La Segunda on the national map. What what would you like to see down the line for you and for Tampa? Um, well, down the line for me, and you know, it's about my daughters next. I want to make sure that we can put the business in a, in a place where we can transition pretty smoothly. And if they choose, you know, they can um, continue the tradition. It's really, we're, I'm, I'm not going to force it upon them at all it's not going to be like that but if they want to have the bakery i need to make sure that it's in a good spot um and so you know i i can't envision what that exactly is going to look like um but i I just know that it needs to be smooth that's 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 i could say well you know it's so wonderful because we started we started our conversation talking about generations you know patrick again the third generation you being the fourth generation how significant is that on carrying the family business through all these years? So most people say that the third generation is where the business fails. So that's a credit to my dad and his cousin, Raymond, and them taking over in the 70s, really. And there was some economic, there was hard economic times in that, you know, that time frame that they were able to keep the business alive. And so um, that's the most impressive thing to me is that they they made it through that transition and then you know I wasn't really planning on getting the business and it it just kind of happened and here we are and here we are and you know I would be remiss not to mention so Patrick um, met his wife also in high school his dad of the paper hired her and you also met your wife in high school, and she also works the last second day. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I met Stephanie in, at, um, in high school, and we didn't know each other real good, but we knew of each other, and then we met again after college, 
And we started dating, and and that's that's history. And here you go. I mean, Stephanie, don't worry. We can't mention Lily and Margaret without Stephanie. And uh, speaking of the bread, as we close out, I'm sure that the bread is also served at many, many special occasions. Yes. I mean, at at our house, it's served every day. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of times I think people could figure out to – eat Cuban bread. Yes, as we talked about um, over Christmas. So to get the bread, of course, you could go to any of your locations. Mm-hmm. You can also order it online for big parties. And Yeah, our like bread's that. available at Publix. So any Publix, you can go and pick up fresh bread. Um, you can pick up bread at our locations. Um, several different you know, stores around town. Continuously growing. Um, Copeland, any final words or thoughts on Hispanic Heritage Month? Um, I just just that this is a this is a great town i i just it's just such a good culture here and um i'm just very i'm very happy very proud to be able to be involved in you know providing bread to the community and and helping people i mean we just get great stories of people saying how much they love the bread and how it's important for their family and um yeah I'm, it's it's very nice to be involved Something well, we like well we thank you so much for being involved in in our show. I always say it's such a treasure to meet such amazing people. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, and thank you so much for watching. On behalf of President and CEO Santiago Carrada, I'm Serena Fazan, and this is Unlocking Tampa Bay. Stay safe until next time.